A very warm welcome to you all. My name's Chris Oakley. And I'm Sean Connery from a previous episode of the Football Attic Podcast. <laughs> so I've just been listening to some old Football Attic podcast there and uh, we were doing our Sean Connery impressions. Um, we were. Yes, from the uh, 1982 uh, Gaulet. <laughs> no, World, Gaulet. World Cup film. Yes. And uh, I dubbed yours the Irish Sean Connery. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, happy memories. Indeed. Just go back and find all that, listeners. It's all there. No, don't. Waiting to be discovered. The the accents might get us cancelled these days. <laughs> so well, yes, it was done innocently. It was. And, uh, yes, and we were just going off Speedy Gonzales, which is weird oh, for a Scottish accent. <laughs> <laughs> Inventive, uh, yes. No, it's it's not. I'm not Sean Connery. Just to clarify, no, he's not. He's it's, not. He's not. It's listeners. me, Rich Johnson, class clown, Pretty. an idiot all round, <laughs> and one man promotion facility for old episodes of the Football Attic. Hey, yeah. Well, anyway, let, uh, let's uh, dive in. It's episode seven of the Football Attic Rewind, sponsored by the Scandinavian Tourist Board. Um, once again, we're here to run an analytical eye over the world of TV soccer and indulge in nostalgia, both football-related and otherwise. In today's episode, we're finally taking a look at some prime soccer action from the 1990s at last. We'll be bringing you all our observations from an old edition of Match of the Day very shortly, but let's start, as always, by asking the aforementioned Rich Johnson, how have you been since we last spoke? I've been all right, thank you. Uh, it's the run-up to Christmas. Excellent. So that's nice, yes. um, you know, jingling my bells and <laughs> decking my bow- holes with boughs of holly and all that. I haven't got any boughs of a holly. Lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of people say, you know, Christmas is good, isn't it? But you know they're being ironic and they actually hate it. So I just wanted to clarify. No, I like you, Christmas. You're happy with the festive season progressing. I am, yeah, I like yes. Christmas. It was a very happy time when I was a child. Um, so, yeah, I, I still like it now. Yeah, I love the run to Christmas. Good. Everything post-Christmas is awful, though. Like, literally, January, February. <laughs> apart from the fact it's my birthday in February, there's nothing to look forward to in January, February. It's an awful time of the year. It's mm. the most awful, awful time, time of, of the, the year. year. <laughs> Rush out and buy it. It's, it's going to be flying up the charts. <coughs> and you single. <laughs> yes. Um, excellent. And how That's are good. you, Chris? Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Thank you very much. Yes. Um, nothing really very much to report. I'm always very honest in saying that because there's no point in making anything up and sort of saying, well, you know. No, there is. There is there's loads of mileage in that. You could just make anything up then. You know, literally, the the imagination is boundless. You could have said you've been into space. <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting to see if I get an invitation to a Christmas party by the uh, UK Prime Minister, but I've got a feeling it, it might not arrive in time. Have you got the cheese and wine ready? <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I've got to be honest, not much going on here, but you know, everyone is happy, healthy and well at this end here in New Zealand, so um, you can't ask for much more than that, can you really? No. Good. No. Indeed. Well, today's podcast sees us going back only 28 years to Saturday the 20th of March 1993 for a look at football during the first season of the FA Premier League. And Rich, you've no excuses now for not remembering much about what was going on in your life around this time. You were definitely born, you'd reached a reasonable age, so tell us what was going on in your life in mid-March 1993. I was in a coma, so I can't remember. (laughs) No, I wasn't. (laughs) Um, world again. 
I might have been in a karma coma because I would have been listening to things like Massive Attack at the time. Uh, not half. <laughs> um, <laughs> Pop pickers. Let's see. <laughs> not half, mate. Ninety two, ninety three. Uh, so I was. That was the year I would have been between A levels at that point. So I would have been in my yeah coming up to so ninety two, ninety three would have been the year I the, the sort of. Oh, God's sake. The year I finished, like the academic year that I finished my levels, so I finished A levels in '93. So, um, <clears throat> so yeah, I was doing that, uh, getting very miserable about like being still at school and not ever wanting to do um, study ever again, which was handy when you're about to start university. <laughs> uh, at this point, all I wanted to do was be in a band like The Cure. The only slight stumbling block to that was I had no musical talent whatsoever. So <laughs> I hadn't worked out how to get past that stumbling block at this point. Um, um, or indeed, how to tell my parents I was going to abandon <laughs> university. It was never going to happen. I was always going to go to uni. Uh, and to be fair, once I did go to university, I quite liked it. So, um, Although by the time I finished that, I was sick of that as well. Oh, uh, but God. I didn't want to join a band by that point. I just wanted to get a job. Um, yes. So yeah, that's what was happening in my life. 92, 93... Uh, 93 was when I went on holiday to Weymouth and saw the uh, Radio 1 Roadshow, which I think we've talked about this <laughs> oh, on this podcast God. before. Uh, Bits and pieces and all that <laughs> lot. Um, uh, yes, Radio 1 Roadshow coming live from the beach at Weymouth. Um, uh, yeah, so, you know, not a, not a bad year, not times. a bad year. I completely got crappy A-level results, but it was fine because I was going to Cov Uni, where you needed very, very little qualification to get in. <laughs> All the requisite Especially limbs. Especially physics. <laughs> yeah. You are. All the requisite limbs and you're in. <laughs> Literally, I mean, but like this, at the time, oh my, yeah, this is going to sound old, you needed eight points. Now, I think the points have changed. I think it's like 50 points for an A or something, but yeah. in those days, it was like eight points or 10 points for an A or something, and I needed eight points, which is the equivalent of two Ds. Uh, excluding general studies, and I got eight points with general studies because ah. I got an E for that, and I still got in because I was doing physics at Cov Uni, and that was a dying thing. In fact, by the time I finished there, they shut the physics department down <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> because it was so. There were so few people doing physics there because it was like regarded as one of the worst places to do it. But oh I don't care. Got me a degree. Got me a career. Marvellous. And suck it, Warwick Uni snobs. <laughs> <laughs> it's all coming out there. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, what were your, what subjects were you doing for A-levels? I did physics, computers and maths. Right. And general studies. <laughs> What's general studies? Is that just sort of like what they call social studies? around when we did general studies. Or it might have been before your time, actually. I don't mean that like as a joke. I just mean literally... <laughs> Actually, I don't know, because my brother did general studies. It was basically a load of bollocks, is what it was. Oh, okay. It was <clears throat> it was um, one lesson a week where they taught you nothing, really. Just literally general stuff about the world. Nothing useful. Okay. Um, and then you'd have an exam, which was just a bunch of random questions that you could never prepare for. I mean, I remember one of the questions in my general studies A-level exam was... It was some sheet music, and it was, what's this the introduction to? <laughs> How the hell do I know that? <laughs> see that see never... earlier comment about lack of musical awareness. I mean, I wouldn't mind if we'd actually, you know, if they'd given us a brief intro to sheet music in the studies that we did, yeah, yeah. but they didn't. So it was, like, it was out of nowhere. It was, it, was just a, it was basically like a general knowledge thing, only with oh, wow. quite specific knowledge. Um, and then <laughs> we had to write two essays, 
and one of the essays was something about like about freedom of choice or like you know things like that but not freedom of speech necessarily but like um <coughs> freedom to choose what you want to do yes and i ended up writing about um a recent court case that there'd been about two guys who'd been into bdsm <laughs> And they'd been taken to court for assault, even though they were both consenting to it. Mm. And I just thought, this is surreal. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm like 18, 17, 18, and I'm writing an essay about BDSM <laughs> for school. Best place uh, to do it, I, I thought. Well, yes, yeah, one and only chance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. And I think I got an E for general studies overall. It was oh. such an absolute crap subject. It was just a waste of time. I don't know if they still do it. It was, it was always regarded as a bit of a joke, but it was basically the the chance for an extra A-level. Yeah. And in my case, it might have been the thing that got me into uni. <laughs> so that essay on BDSM might have got me to be a physicist, which I then immediately dropped when I finished uni and became an IT person. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry for the uh, diversion here, listeners, but you know, this is part of the whole nostalgia element of this podcast, and it doesn't have to be football or anything. But I mean, um, I can honestly say that through all the time I was at school, there was never a subject called general studies. It sounds a bit like a subject I did, we had once uh, called humanities. Did you do A-levels, though? No, I didn't do A-levels, no. So it was oh, only an go, A-level see, thing. It was an A-level subject. There you go. Right. Yeah. It was only for us clever people. <laughs> well, clearly, yes. <laughs> fat not, could that not, did for it? You, not for you leavers at 16. <laughs> well, you know. What I I have no answer to that. I, I am, it turns out, quite thick. Um, no, you're yeah. not, Chris. You're at least moderately intelligent. Oh, that'll that'll do for me. I'll get that printed up on a certificate straight away. I think you've got at least an average intelligence. <laughs> the next job I go in for, I'll sort of, when it says uh, state your qualifications on the CV, I'll say um, in quotes, quite moderately intelligent. Close quotes, Rich Johnson. Published author. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, there you go. Yeah. That's, all, that's the only uh, recommendation I need, really. Uh, Splendid. Um, now, what was I doing? 92, 93. Um, I think, well, I'd have, been, I'd have been 21 and well on the way to 22 at the time. And um, I was um, I was working for the London Borough of Barking and Dagenham in northeast London. And I was Barking and Dagenham. Barking and Dagenham. <laughs> And I was working in the office automation team, which is before they invented the term IT support, for that is what it was, basically. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah, um, I was working in a team of about eight to ten people, and I was learning all about sort of IT hardware and software, really, and most importantly, how to resolve technical issues with both. Um, and it was it was a good job, that good fun of sort of learning on the job because I'd started off as a trainee really, and then um, then they found me like slotted me into this team, and it was good fun, and and it was in the days yeah. when you know uh, PCs were coming in rather than um, you know like IBM PCs <coughs> and desktop computers. I was about to say, were you were you on four eight sixes or I think Pentiums might have come along by ninety three. I'm not sure. Well, this just hold hold that thought because we'll be we'll be addressing that very point very Oof. shortly. Um, but yes, um, it, it, the short answer to that is yes. Um, but we, yeah, we, we used to have lots of IBM PCs, and we had to install them here and there in different council offices. And um, it was a, it was a good time actually. Yeah, everyone used to have a laugh. I mean, because it was a council job, we used to mostly drink tea and coffee during the day and not do an awful <laughs> lot of work, uh, which is probably why it was quite good. Public sector. <laughs> <laughs> yes, everything you've heard about public sector jobs is exactly true. 
Um, <laughs> yes. So there we go. What were you up to, listeners, in 1993? Perhaps drop us a line and let, tell us if there was something sort of like a landmark or something going on in your in your life back then. Did you do general studies? And if you did, <laughs> did you write any essays about BDSM? <laughs> yeah. What was the answer to question four, part part, part B? <laughs> yeah. What was that that sheet music intro? I think it was Beethoven's. <laughs> what was I think it? it was a Beethoven symphony. I don't know which one. Yeah. Or it might have been the 1812 Overture. I don't know. It might have been the 1812 Overture, actually, thinking about it. It's probably a bit late to be worrying about it, to, if I'm perfectly by, honest. By Jan Hammer. <laughs> <laughs> it's the synth version. <laughs> <laughs> okay, everyone. Well... I have got myself a computer from 1993 to provide all the information I need for today's podcast at the press of a button, and today it's an IBM PS2 Model 90. I I got it from work. Um, It's got a 486 processor, tick, there you go, 320 megabyte hard disk, and 4 meg of RAM. Uh, Yikes. Yes. Power. Power. And it also runs Windows 3.1. So that means endless Oof. endless hours playing Minesweeper when things get really quiet. <laughs> and solitaire. And solitaire. So there we go. That's and me. Drawing boobies in paint. <laughs> uh, now we're getting an insight into your psyche. <laughs> and you're wondering why it was like that all this time, listeners. <laughs> so that's me, Sorty. It's time now to jump into the football attic time cupboard, turn on the computer, and see what was happening on the day of our featured episode of Match of the Day from the 20th of March, 1993. Well, on this day, it was reported that the satellite TV channel Red Hot was to be banned in the UK for breaching public decency standards. Thank God the internet hasn't become popular yet. (laughs) (laughs) The day before this episode, the number of people in the UK that were unemployed dropped for the first time in three years to 2.9 million. Two days after this episode of Match of the Day, the Intel Corporation started to ship its new Pentium microchips. Tick! Rich Johnson, <laughs> prescient as ever there. Four, four See? See, knew He knew. 24 years in IT. I can still remember what was about when I've started. <laughs> <laughs> you saw. Yeah. Um, five <laughs> days after this episode of Match of the Day, Ford launched its new car model, the Mondeo. Uh, about a week for, about a week further on, Vauxhall would launch its own new model, the Nova. Did you have either of those, Rich? Nova? God, did that only come out in the 90s? Evidently so. Really? From what, from, from my, according to my sources, uh, if, if I fa- no, find out... No, that can't be right. I'm sure they launched the Corsa around about then. The Nova oh, I, for years, because that was an 80s car. Hmm. Maybe it was renamed are you, for are the Are you UK on Wikipedia.nz again? Oh, <laughs> I might be. If if I find out afterwards that I was wrong about all this, then it it won't make the final cut. So no, I'm one... pretty sure that I'm pretty sure that was the course that they launched in then, because the, the Nova was around in the eighties. Sure, yeah. it was. You're probably right. Um, when I learned to drive <laughs> in a Corsa, did you? Yeah. And, and was it good to drive? Was it? Did, mm, uh, it was all right. It was all right. Um, I just remember the driving instructor used to get really arsy when I called it purple. It's like, it's not purple, it's dark blue. And I'm like... It's aubergine. Right. Yeah, it's aubergine. Yeah. Yeah. It's taupe. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, didn't, I don't think I've ever owned... No, I've never owned a Mondeo, but I was always quite jealous of people that had one because it looked I quite like, nice. Yeah, I like the Mondeo as well. It was a very nice car. It was a very nice car. You'll like this one, Rich. Nine days after this episode of Match of the Day... Central TV in the UK began showing the New Zealand soap opera, Shortland Street. Oh, mate. Cross and holy. 
Terry. I was hoping. Hey. Well, if you don't say that, then I'm going to have to uh, meet you. I, I love Shortland Street. It was great. I used to, it was, that was a staple at university. That was, yeah. Oh, Cross and Honey. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember any of the other characters, just those two. I, I, even to this day, having moved to the country where it originated, um, I've still never seen an episode of Shortland Street, but it's... I've seen lots of trailers for Shortland Street since I've been I'm living sure, here. I'm but... sure. I'm sure that Honey, well, I think that was his name. Um, I'm sure he was. Oh, I can't think what the actor's name is. The guy who plays. Well, the guy who replaced um, Jeremy Bullock as Boba Fett in the films. Oh, okay. And played him. Oh, what's his name? That's well, so I'm annoying. Sure. I can't think what his name is. Yeah, but yeah. Um, <laughs> that's that's really bugging me. Now. I should know that. <laughs> Bloody Star Wars fan and everything. Uh, yeah, people are probably, you know, all three people listening to this are probably screaming at me now <laughs> with the actual name of the person who I can't remember. But I'm sure he was, I'm sure he was Honey. Actually, no, he wasn't Honey. He was someone else in Shortland Street. <laughs> Hang on, I'm going to have to sure he was. now. I'm okay, not... <laughs> this needs looking up. Well, we, we're starting from a good point because we can't remember who the actor's name is. Timuera Morrison. That's him, Timuera Morrison, yes. Was there he in go. Shortland Street? Apparently so. Oh, there hang we on. go. What was his character? Hang on. Honey oh. was a younger guy, I think. <laughs> I wasn't expecting to do all this on the fly research. Honey <laughs> uh, was a he was a he was a younger bloke, I think. Um, he was um, Tamira Morrison was one of the doctors. Uh, Doctor Honey Rapata. Oh, he was Honey. There we go. Yes. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> and also uh, was in Once Were Warriors. Yes, once we're warriors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and lots of things since he was in Star Wars. Splendid. Well, I'm glad we've got that all resolved. Indeed. Yeah, that's a challenge. I was going to say that's going to be a challenge for me to edit that down to no more than 10 seconds. I was going to say, we've, uh, we've been 20 minutes so far. We haven't talked to our football at all <laughs> yet. <laughs> uh, where was I? Oh, yes. So uh, yeah, we're going through what was going on back in um, March 93. 11 days after this episode of Match of the Day, the first accidental case of spamming occurred when a bug in a computer program sent an article to 200 news groups simultaneously. And uh, we're, we're currently in the early days of satellite TV in the UK. With the right dish, you can pick up Sky's only sports channel, along with uh, Eurosport. There's a, a few movie channels, UK Gold, MTV, CNN, and that's more or less it at this point in time. Uh, we're also about a month away from CERN uh, releasing the original web source code into the public domain, thereby kickstarting a huge growth in the number of internet web pages available around the world. Yes, it's a key moment in history. Uh, if if right. not, we've got a. I said we've got a Vauxhall Corsa slash Nova update. Oh, go on. Was it sort of renamed for one market and no? Well, it kind of was, but you've got it backwards in the sense. Ah. So the Corsa A, which is what it was known as around the world, the Opal Corsa, mm-hmm. uh, was rebadged as the Vauxhall Nova between 83 and 93 for the United Kingdom. Ah. Um, so there oh, you go. And then when the Corsa B launched in 1993, uh, that's when it became the Corsa over here. Ah. So I was right. <laughs> I bet you're feeling really pleased with yourself now, aren't you? Not really. <laughs> it's just proving my use for remembering crap information carries on. Oh, well, that's that's what you're not getting paid for. Um, exactly. Yeah. So, what was on the box on this day? Well, on BBC One, you could have, because it was a Saturday, you could have watched Eggs and Baker. 
which I that. <laughs> that always makes me laugh at I don't know I never watched wasn't it that, wasn't that Cheryl Baker going through fertility treatment oh <laughs> no it wasn't <laughs> sorry I was a bit slow on the after when you said was it Cheryl Baker I was like yes she was the and then didn't yes got the other half of that joke a bit too late really uh, very good well, very well done to you. <laughs> uh, there was um, going live grandstand, of course, because it was Saturday. Uh, that show business, the uh, entertainment quiz with uh, Mike oh, Smith. God. You rang, my lord. Birds Ugh. of a feather gets Ugh. better. This that's no, life, uh, which I think it used to be on Sunday nights, and then I think they shifted it to Saturdays for for a while. Um, well, that's, I mean, that's the thing I was going to say, because the clip that we've got from the internet for this Match of the Day episode starts off with the end of That's Life. Yes. And I didn't realise it was still going in, in the 93. Yeah, I don't know how much longer it had to go. Maybe only a few years at a guess, but it was yeah, on its last leagues by this point. And of course, Match of the Day was on as well, as we'll be coming on to shortly. Um, on BBC Two on this day, you could have seen Sounds of the 70s. Uh, the Boar of the Year Award, which is a, an Angus Dayton-fronted uh, fake award ceremony. And the film A Streetcar Named Desire. On ITV on this day, you could have seen The Chart Show, Baywatch, Blind Date, and two films. First there was Splash 2, and that was followed by Beetlejuice. And on Channel 4 on this day, you could have seen Channel 4 Racing, Porterhouse Blue, Saturday Zoo the music and comedy show with Jonathan Ross, and the, delightful, uh, the delightfully titled film A Severed Head. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, which of those programmes might have taken your fancy, Rich? I remember watching Saturday Zoo. Yes. Um, I don't think it was that great. Um, <laughs> we would have probably actually watched Blinder Data um, and then probably like Birds of a Feather, um, thinking of, you know... Going back that long as to what we watched in that in our house, um, and oh god, you rang my lord. Oh, yeah. I remember that. God, <laughs> so no. I'm just tickled by the. the I just realised the reference where you said "blinder data" because that's the, how it was pronounced. <laughs> blinder <by> the, data. <laughs> yeah, <Yes. laughs> the guy. <clears throat> Um, wasn't you rang my lord another sort of Heidi high sort of yes. same cast thing exactly didn't same. they do like didn't they do one about the real was like Dr. Beeching or something oh, yeah oh Dr. Beeching I'm sure yes. that was yeah I'm sure that was them as well Jesus how many spin-offs did that program get I, I don't mean know. technically they weren't spin-offs because they weren't I mean they weren't supposed to be like the same characters over different generations I don't think but Christ almighty <laughs> Heidi high wasn't that funny to start with <laughs> but they used to sort of yeah cross-pollinate the different casts so um, Ooh, what an image! Well, yes, I could have Ooh, said Ms. that Kafka, better. I've been pollinated. <laughs> um, you rang, my lord. Had people from Heidi High, and I think some people from um, It Ain't Half Up, Mum, and oh, yeah. and, and they just used to just blend all the different sort of cast members from different programs. It was a bit peculiar <laughs> in that regard. <laughs> to blend them all up, <laughs> yes, in a, in a big celebrity blender. <laughs> well, now. Um, it's time for the feature that's got everyone talking. Where's Brucey? And just just the previous month, Bruce was celebrating his 65th birthday. Around- <laughs> I, I, I paused. Wait. <laughs> I know you did. 
65. What's happened to me? Brucey impression. <laughs> Sounds like a wasp trapped in a glass. <laughs> buzz, buzz. It's trapped in a glass. Can't get out of the smooth sides. And there's a jam jar lid on top. It's very fancy. But I'm having the jam for my 65th birthday. Now, what, what presents have I got, Chris? A cuddly toy. A cliche upon cliche. Goblin teas, mate. <laughs> Lovely. Very well done to you. <laughs> now, around this time, you could have heard Brucey narrating the kids' cartoon series Fiddly Foodle Bird. Fiddly Foodle Bird <laughs> goes to play golf with his celebrity chums. I remember Fiddly Foodle Bird. I don't remember much about it other than no. it features a lot of celebrity golf. <laughs> See, I know the name, but it was because I was I was a mature 22-year-old at this point, you have to understand, or nearly 22 anyway. So I know the name, but I didn't ever watch it. And I was surprised when my IBM PS2 Model 90 told me this fact, that in fact he, he had narrated a, a kid's cartoon series. I didn't never even knew that. So there's that. Also um, lending his vocal talents on that same cartoon series was Minder star Dennis Waterman playing the title role. There we go. One to look up on YouTube Ooh. afterwards, folks. Um, not far away at this point was Brucey's BBC TV chat show, Brucey's Guest Night, where he invited <laughs> Hello to my guests. I don't know who you are, but apparently you've done some films or something. Do you play golf? Would you like to? You know, on a spare Saturday coming up. Arnold, Arnold Schwartz and what, dear? <laughs> I was going to say, he, he, uh, this was the TV chat show where he invited old friends and star celebrities to come on for an hour. And I've written down here, some of which never even played golf. So you've preempted that little um, aside of mine. <laughs> Look at all my old friends. You've got no idea who they are, but I do. And that's all that matters. Look, he's a friend from the 1940s. And he, he used to be in a panto in South End one year. And he's my best friend. <laughs> so, I'd just like to say thank you for my guest this week, Jimmy Tarbuck. And on next week's show, I've got Jimmy Tarbuck and Jimmy Tarbuck <laughs> the week after that. Oh, <laughs> uh, dear. Marvellous. Uh, what, what was it, the movies at this point? Because I know you're dying to find out. Um, well, you could have seen Under Siege, the Stephen Seagal. Oh, Jesus. Yes. I remember watching that. <laughs> Actually, that's one thing you I did do in my levels. We used to go around my mate's house and eat popcorn. And pl- I think I've said this before as well. We used to go around their house. Used to make popcorn. We used to play Wolfenstein, and then we'd watch um, <laughs> films, which were either yeah, yeah, Love Wolfenstein three D. Yes. Uh, and then we'd play. Uh, no, we'd watch films like I think we watched Jean Claude Van Damme films, Steven Seagal films, <laughs> or or sort of like Boys in the Hood and stuff. <laughs> and we'd listen to a bit of. Um, and N brothers with attitude as they were <laughs> slightly misnomered there. <laughs> Good grief! No wonder you turned out the way you did. Yes, I mean the the life, the, the films and gangster rap about life in the hood really spoke to me as a <laughs> sort of mostly middle class suburbanite in Coventry, Caucasian. <laughs> yeah, I felt their their pain, you know, <laughs> about South Central. <laughs> You know, back in in the east of the city, I was east coast, <laughs> in east, the east Coventry. Although it was technically West Coventry, but you know, 
<laughs> what, what did you say? Yeah. Fake. <laughs> <laughs> um, you could have also seen The Bodyguard with uh, Kevin oh, Costner and Whitney Houston. Uh, Toys, the Robin Williams film. I actually saw that in the movies. I'm pretty sure I did. I'd completely I've forgotten never, about that. I don't think I've seen that. It's Yeah, I'm not going to go into the plot. I've never bits. seen The Bodyguard either. Well, no, neither have I. No, I don't that's, bloody want to. I intended to stay that way as well. Mm. Uh, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. And Malcolm X, the uh, Denzel Washington movie. In the <laughs> charts at this time, the number one single in the UK was Oh Carolina by Shaggy. <laughs> um, and the UK number one album was Are You Gonna Go My Way by Lenny Kravitz. Uh, yeah. See, albums and singles we've actually heard of there. Actually Not heard Perry of, yeah. Como for a change. <laughs> exactly. Wasn't a greatest hits album by somebody. Yes. Um, on the front cover of your favourite footy magazines, uh, well, on the front cover of Shoot, we had Ian Wright of Arsenal. Headline, Jekyll and Hyde Gunners. It's prizes before points at Highbury. Um, Shoot pointing out there that Arsenal were being totally irrational by trying to get some silverware rather than hauling their way up the league table. And uh, inside was a team picture of Juventus. On the front cover of World Soccer magazine for March 1993 was Giuseppe Signori of Napoli. Now then, in football news around this time, well, Arsenal have announced that at the end of the 92-93 season, they won't be renewing the contract of 34-year-old David O'Leary after 20 years at the club. Ah. Uh, oh, <laughs> it's a great shame, Dave. You come play golf. <laughs> come play golf with me. Um, FA, <coughs> FA Chief Executive Graham Kelly finally bowed to fan pressure and allowed the upcoming FA Cup semi-final between Sheffield United and Sheffield Wednesday to be played at Wembley Stadium the day before Arsenal and Tottenham did the same in the second semi-final. Oof. Kelly had originally offered Ellen Road or Old Trafford for the meeting of the two Sheffield teams, but fans wanted their big day in the capital and subsequently got it. And yet nowadays, like the teams from the north always moan that they've got to go to Wembley. Yeah. Semi-final. <laughs> How things have changed. Blame the Sheffield lot. <laughs> well, that's right. The Human League and Heaven 17. <laughs> Amongst other things. Um, on top form at this time is Paul Warhurst who, due to injuries to other players, had been plucked out of the Sheffield Wednesday defence and was told to play up front. The result was a run of 12 goals in 12 games and 17 goals in total up to this point in the season, a run of form that prompted Graham Taylor to pick him for the upcoming World Cup qualifier against Turkey. Right, well, there you go, mm. nostalgia lovers. It's time to settle back now and prepare ourselves to watch today's specially selected episode of Match of the Day from March the 20th, 1993. If you're all ready, let's rewind. And first of all, Rich, we uh, we see one of the old BBC Sport logos. It's a computer-generated globe spinning neatly on its axis while a series of coloured rings revolve around it above the BBC Sport caption. Did that bring back some memories? It did. That was nice, that was. The, the, I mean, like the, the BBC had some quite nice idents back in the 90s. Indeed. Mostly on BBC Two, because um, they had lots of things going on with the Two logo. Yes. But yeah, it was nice. Uh, and the, the other thing I noticed was when it started, it had the word stereo in the top left corner, <laughs> which meant Nikam stereo. Yeah. Yes, oh. Remember that? Remember, oh. remember that tech, folks? Oh, Nikam stereo. Nikam. Oh. 
proper. Not just stereo, but NICAM stereo. <laughs> yeah. I remember when we got our first TV at home, our family TV, which had NICAM. I was like, that's it. We've finally arrived in the modern world. NICAM yeah, TV. I, I remember specifying it when you're looking at a TV. It's got to have NICAM <laughs> stereo. Uh, yes. Um, the uh, the version of this BBC Sport logo was introduced the year before in 1992, and there were various others, including a globe with red rings for athletics, blue rings for swimming, green rings for equestrian events, and yellow or gold rings for the Olympics. I didn't realise that, although I think I've seen the yellow mm-hmm. one. Didn't realise that was specifically for the Olympics, but uh, there you go. The BBC only felt the need to introduce a logo for its sport department in 1988, a full 20 years after ITV did the same. Match of the day we see beginning with its traditional theme tune by Barry Stoller and the titles show a wonderful collage of imagery dating from the black and white days of Sir Matt Busby and Dennis Law in the 60s to the colourful era of Glenn Hoddle and Gary Lineker in the 80s and beyond. What did you think of the titles, Rich? Yeah, I mean, it was was standard affair, wasn't it? It was just like... I mean, everything's a bit more polished now, so they're a bit, you know, I think they were clearly going for the nostalgia vibe, <clears throat> which yes. sort of tied in with the, the sort of kits in the Premier League, because that was when they were getting all the sort of laced up collars and the round, yes. like the yoke necks and stuff. So, yeah, it was very much de rigueur to be kind of looking backwards. Um, and yeah, it's it certainly beats the sort of weird crap that we went through with that the mm. kickoff match which is still freaking me out even to now i was just on the podcast the other day it was freaking me out because i was having flashbacks to it <clears throat> i'm sorry that i had to inflict that mental cruelty on you but yeah. you know it's all in the name of podcasting <laughs> or something because i called it's because i called you adequately intelligent oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, dear um, well, our presenter for this edition of the programme is Desmond Michael Lynham, only the third regular presenter of Match of the Day since it first hit British TV screens in 1964. He's currently... What's his official title, though? Go on. It's Dishy Des Lynham. Oh, Dishy Des Lynham. Well, of course, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Lest we forget. Yes. Housewives favourite. <laughs> yeah. He's uh, currently had his feet under the Match of the Day desk for five years. Not continuously, of course. And um, we see him wearing a navy blue jacket, pale blue shirt and dark blue tie. The hair is grey, as is the moustache, but the look is that of a man who's attained wisdom with age and a fair degree of charm, as you alluded to there. And a fair degree of notches on the bedpost, I don't. (laughs) I should say. Don't wager. (laughs) Yes. <clears throat> what were your um, thoughts of Des Lynham at the time, Rich? Um, did you, was he sort of one I of your... quite liked him. Yeah. yeah. He was all right, yeah. I thought he was, he was competent. And I think that he had a nice sort of... Um, a sort of cynical manner about him at times, I think, where yeah. he'd sort of... And it, it, I think he worked well with, like, Alan Hansen. I think he was that kind of... That sort of segue from, I suppose, just being quite factual about things to sort of being more opinionated and... Hmm. I mean, I'm not saying they hadn't been opinions before, but I was just like I say, he had a very sort of subtle way that he I and mean, like a little smile as well, like a little cheeky smile mm. um, that he could sort of just you know say quite a few sort of controversial things, but not somehow make it seem like he was saying anything outrageous, but still prompt an opinion from everyone. Yes, yeah, I liked him. Glint in the eye. Yes. Yeah. Very smooth as well. It's very smooth. I, I didn't really realise at the time how sort of. Um, what should we say, near the knuckle or not near the knuckle, sort of quite biting he could be. Because there's a clip on YouTube where, because he obviously used to present grandstand as well for a long time. And when World of Sport finished on the other side, on ITV, that obviously left grandstand 
doing being the only channel showing sport on a Saturday afternoon. And on the next episode of Grandstand, the following week, he introduces the programme, says something like, um, uh, welcome everybody to Grandstand, um, the first and now the only show uh, bringing you sport on a Saturday afternoon. It was a little dig at World of Sport. And I thought... That's not on, Des. I mean, they've, you know, we some of us <laughs> like watching World of Sport, and we're a bit gutted that it's not on anymore. And now you're rubbing it in their faces, saying, "Oh, <laughs> World of Sport, you're not around anymore." And I thought, oh, "No need for that, Des." <laughs> so he could be quite yeah, cutting. Des. Yes. Oh yes. Anyway, Des Lynham introduces this episode from the first season of the Premier League at a point when there's only two months of the season remaining. He tells us that Man United are the favourites to win the title and that they they were able to return to the top of the table if only they could beat their near neighbours, Manchester City. It was that very match that would be the first to feature in this programme and Lynham whets our appetite by showing us a couple who looked to be in their early 60s sitting among the crowd at Main Road, freezing their knackers off and having a hot drink to avoid the onset of hypothermia. <laughs> I made that... I made the same note. I put uh, some early 90s techno plays over a shot of a couple from the 70s. Yeah, exactly. Um, we then see the crowd arriving for the match between Liverpool and Everton, one of the other matches to be featured, and another inter, inter, I'll say that again, another inter-city clash of local rivals. There's also a charming clip of a young Liverpool fan, four-year-old Stephen Johnston, in full kit, warming up alongside a similarly attired John Barnes on the, on the Liverpool pitch. Nice stuff, says Lynham, and he's not wrong. I seem to remember that clip cropping up from time to time, Richard. I don't know, they used to sort of dig that out because it was quite a nice little clip of like a little boy sort of warming up for a match with John Barnes before the match started. I don't know, I think they used to show that from time to time. Nice little clip, that. Yeah, I was going to say, I've, I've got a feeling I've seen that clip before as well. Yes. <clears throat> it's like the other one where I think um, they've got the one where Gaza picks the kid up and <laughs> hoiks him onto the pitch. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and we then get to see Dez's two dynamic Assistants in the Match of the Day studio, former West Ham midfielder Trevor Brooking and recently retired Liverpool defender Alan Hansen. They're sitting behind a grey desk on which are some sheets of paper, some of which are white and some of which are pink, and a glass of water each for Brooking and Hansen. Presumably that's water anyway. Behind them is a series of wall panels showing blurry images of football players in action, a bit like someone's hit the pause button on an old video recording of a football match made 10 years earlier. Um, I thought the studio looked a bit drab myself. Rich, what did you make of it? It was kind of, I suppose, early nineties. You know, kind of chic. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I, the, the blurred pictures kind of reminded me of Football '89, the Panini album, <laughs> um, and the artwork in that. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was, it was all right. I mean, it was like, yeah, very grey, typical. Yeah, very grey, um, with a bit of the flash of colour. I, I noted that Trevor Brooking. Was wearing a classic Alan Partridge attire, um, sort of a grey suit, a sort of off-white yellowish shirt with a kind of mishmash coloured tie. Yeah. Just like all he needed. I mean, really, if his suit had been like a dark green, sports casual, <laughs> yeah. it'd have been right up there. Yes, good observation. Yes, indeed. Um, yeah, and I mean, mentioned um, you know Brooking and Hanson. The first time we've seen two pundits in a football studio since we started this series, Rich. Um, do you think they're good at what they do? And did there really need to be two friends for, for Des Lynham to talk to? Um, I think it worked well. I mean, I, I prefer it when they've got two, because at least you get... I mean, I suppose 
it's better having two opinions than one, especially when they're quite... I mean, like, Alan Hansen was always sort of quite, you know, defensively focused, so mm-hmm. I suppose that's why they had him. It was like he was kind of... He'd talk about defence and stuff, and then Trevor Brookie would talk less about that and more about, you know, Alan Partridge things. <laughs> um, um, so, yeah, no, I quite liked it, and I think mm. I think it's that having the three there is, is a better than having two... Or four? Did they ever have like three pundits as well? I don't. I don't know. That would have been insane. Sure, they probably did in the World Cup. I was just going to say, yes, <clears throat> must have done for World yeah, it's Cup. Too many, too many, <laughs> too much talking over each other and stuff. Yes, yeah. Um, and so we begin with the first of today's featured games: Man City versus Man United, which, according to commentator Barry Davis, is an eleven a.m. kickoff, the like of which has rarely been known in the rich history of the Manchester derby. And we then see the team lineup captions, uh, which naturally are the most polished and professional looking we've seen thus far, Richard. We get a full colour team badge on the left, the players listed vertically on the right on a navy blue rectangular panel, and the team name displayed on a red strip above that. Uh, the teams, remarkably, by today's standards, are still numbered 1 to 11. What were your thoughts on the captions? All very, all very modern and pristine. Yeah, all very perfunctory, you know, does the job. Um, I mean, interesting point, you know, about the uh, the squad numbers. I also noticed that they still don't have names on the back of the shirts, which I think most mm. people probably think came in with the Premier League, um, especially as they, I'm sure they had, actually, no, did they have names on the back of shirts at um, Euro 92? I know they had numbers on the front. Euro no, 92 they, they did, they did, did. They? yeah, yeah, definitely. Did they? Yeah. Well, I had names on the back? Yeah. Oh, Okay. Yeah, so I think that's the thing. Everyone therefore assumes that um, the names on the back came in with the Premier League, but mm. yeah, not the first series, uh, not the first series. <laughs> I didn't realise it was like a drama. <laughs> yeah, the scripting is terrible. Um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, the first season. Because <laughs> yeah, I, I basically think wrongly, of course, that the first season of the Premier League. Like everything changed, numbers, uh, names on the back, and numbers, you know, p- players wearing thirty six on their backs and all that. But of course, wasn't quite the sort of cut off point where everything changed overnight. It was a bit more gradual. Was it the, f- the next season after this that the names on the shirts came in? No idea. In all honesty, <laughs> it might have been, or if not, the year after that. Um, oh yes, so. Um, the players of both sides are, of course, still quite fresh in our memories. Even at this point, there's Man City's player manager Peter Reid, Keith Curl, and Niall Quinn, and Peter Schmeichel, Eric Cantona, Mark Hughes, and Ryan Giggs for United. Brian Robson is on the bench for United with Andre Kanchelskis, incidentally. Uh, there's even a lovely caption telling us the name of the referee, Robbie Hart of Darlington, which shows the Premier League badge of the era in white on a big red square. Um, I kind of pine still even now for the uh, the late lamented Premier League badge uh, that we've had much, much better and more characterful than the one we've got at the moment, which is that strange lion's head with a crown on it. That's my view anyway. Yeah, no, I agree. I quite liked it. it, had, it, was, it was, and it was kind of, um, I suppose, a bit reminiscent of the, the lions on an England shirt. But yes. yeah, I think nowadays it's a bit cartoony. It's like, mm. um, it's like it's, it didn't, I think, didn't Huddersfield have like a... A, a, terrier. a season where they had like a ridiculous sort of cartoon terrier or something, or they <laughs> yes. still got it, I can't remember. Uh, yeah, they were wearing it on the shirts, but not, it wasn't like the official team badge, but it was, they were wearing yeah. it on the shirts, I think, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it was that sort of thing, it's that sort mm. of feel to it, kind of just a close-up of a lion's head with a crown. 
fucking Simba. <laughs> I've never seen The Lion King, so I don't know if that reference no. is correct. <laughs> You're asking the wrong bloke here at telly. <laughs> so, Manchester City versus Manchester United. We'll um, get on to the key points of the game shortly, but before that, um, let's discuss what we saw going on all around it. In all the years of Manchester derbies, going back to November 1894, when it was Ardwick against Newton Heath, no one can remember an earlier start than this. Rich, um, first of all, what caught your eye during the match? Um, not much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, like, it was nice to see Main Road again, actually. Hmm. Um, and in, with that incredibly deep main stand they had. And this is before the Kipax was rebuilt as well, hmm. I think. Um, and yeah, just seeing that huge sort of vaulted roofed main stand, which seemed to sort of go on or back forever. Mm. It was really big. Um, no, it was great. Um, one thing I noticed about all the sponsors in this um, in this episode was there's a lot of crossover. Um, normally, <clears throat> at each ground, you'd see... I mean, you'd always see the odd, you know, one or two that were quite pertinent. Uh, like, I think we always seem to see a Shell one or sort of like an Esso one or something. Yeah. But in this, literally... All of the same sponsors seem to be in the same positions as well. So, like, like Makita and I mean, okay, you've got your club specific ones like Brother for Man City, yeah. But then you've got a whole load of sponsors that are just in every single ground and seem to be in the same positions in the ground as well. So they've obviously like done a deal with all of the clubs to get them in. Mm. So yeah, and, and then the names are kind of you're losing the sort of regional. Um, local, <laughs> local sponsors stuff. and they're all becoming much much bigger clubs uh, clubs <laughs> much bigger um, companies so I'm trying to think out of all the ones that I made a note of one of them I did make a note and I, I, I'd written Haribo's question mark question mark <laughs> yeah but then later on it, it was Harcross Building and Timber Supplies I know I did it exactly the same thing yes because <laughs> it's obscured by the goalpost, but the logo looks very similar to the Haribo <laughs> logo <laughs> and I did find that odd yeah <laughs> Uh, but so. yeah, so there's a lot of a lot of corporate ones. Um, so very few. I mean, there's certainly this ground. I think there's there's the only one I found that was interesting was Cabrini, yes, um, which wasn't really established over here at that point. Certainly yeah. not as this kind of sports brand, and it had a really weird font that it was written mm. in as well. So <laughs> uh, yeah, but the rest were all just like the standard like Makita Club Call Umbro CIS Insurance Draper Tools. Into sport and all that lot, and it was just yeah, Carlsberg and and a lot of big co- corporates like you know car companies and Mackey D's and stuff. So mm. yeah, it was a bit boring, really. <laughs> yes, um, yeah, I I sort of smiled when I saw Lucas Aid because of course it was that was yeah. very much the Vogue drink at the time, the the energy drink du jour, um, and of course and Skull, and <laughs> skull <laughs> which wasn't. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think there was uh, obviously, obviously Lucas Aid was. Because they started doing Lucas in little bottles rather than the stuff that used to come in a, in a crinkly orange wrapper that you had when you were off school. Oh, uh, yeah, when they started doing it in, in plastic bottles. And they started diversifying into like black currant Lucas right. and stuff. Orange barley and lemon barley in bottles and stuff like that. And of course, immortalized in the, um, in the TV commercial campaign, which had John Barnes on it. Gets to your thirst fast. Isotonic. <laughs> yes. so I don't know what did that in a South African accent. <laughs> Arsodonic <laughs> gets to your bits fast. <laughs> Cross and honey. Hang on. Switching continents here. <laughs> oh, dear. As um, recommended to bar Cross and honey. Yeah, lots of big sort of names, as you say. Like the, the, well, the FA Premier League itself was on um, boards yeah. all over the place by the looks of it. Um, quite oh, a British Steel. 
Yes. That was one I saw, yeah, of course, which doesn't exist anymore, you know. Yeah, well. Back in the days when it was British Steel. It must have been a privatised company by that point, I would have thought, though. Should have it wasn't that. like British Steel, as in the original nationalised sort of hmm. um, company. Yes. Um, Who knows? Another Who knows? curious one was uh, Manchester 2000, the Olympic bid. Um, and, uh, and people may have forgotten that actually Manchester got down to the last three in their bid for the Olympics in 2000, um, behind Sydney and Beijing. Um, we missed out on that one. Um, but yes, that was uh, on one of the advertising boards. There was a couple of local companies, Tom Garner for Peugeot, FH Brown yeah. Business Equipment, whoever that may have been. Um, yes, all the usual. And of course, because of the upper tiers of the stand, there was like like smaller advertising boards going all around on those as well. So you couldn't move for advertising boards there. Um, <clears throat> no. Now then, um mentioned the referee, uh, Robbie Hart of Darlington. Uh, Barry Davis says he owns his own garage. I presume that's a garage where you can get your car <laughs> fixed rather than just a part of the house that he lives in. Um, yeah, as I say, I don't think there were status symbols back in the 90s. No. <laughs> just having a, a garage on your house. <laughs> um, Robbie Hart only had a few more seasons left as a referee at this point. In 1996, he achieved his highest honour, refereeing that year's League Cup final between Aston Villa and Leeds, which I've completely forgotten about. That's passed me by that one. Aston Villa and Leeds in a League Cup final. Um, yeah. By which point he had uh, central heating and an indoor toilet. <laughs> <laughs> um, the ball was a Mitre Delta 1000 with gold Vs. I happen to notice. Oof. Lovely stuff there, yes. And the kits, Rich. Um, which team had the better kit, would you say? Um, neither, really, <laughs> looking back. Um, I didn't really like Man City's kit that year it had far too many sort of random flashes on it which mm. on the sleeves and stuff I just think it were superfluous it was, a, it was not a bad shirt other than that and Man, Man United was alright um, but yeah nothing amazing I don't I don't yeah I think there there was a lot of kits in the early 90s that just kind of yeah it was that weren't the crazy shirts that some teams had but just mm. kind of obviously there was lots of random flashes and you know, stripes and bits and bobs on shirts in those days. It mm. kind of just have left me a bit cold over the years. So, neither. Mm. Bit of an umbro fest, The referee. Wasn't it? <laughs> the <Yeah>. referee. <laughs> in his green. <clears throat> yeah. Green with black pinstripes. Yes. <laughs> um, yes, Man United bizarrely wearing red shirts, black shorts, white socks, which is a combo they don't often uh, refer to. Um the black shorts had a big abstract diamond motif on one leg. Um, these shorts for kit fans out there, the shorts were not used in United's all blue away kit, nor were they in the Newton Heath yellow and green third kit either. They were sort of a bespoke pair of black shorts, I think, just for this particular purpose. There you go. Who, <coughs> who called me a nerd? Um, there was, uh, I, I like the big chunky sort of gridiron style numbers on the back of Man United shirts. Uh, they were quite fetching. Um, and, of course, this, this is the uh, Man United shirt that had the lace-up collar because it was all about the vintage, as you said earlier, and Rich quite correctly. Uh, Man City were in pale blue, white, and navy blue socks. Uh, again, navy blue socks, not often worn for Man City. They brought it, brought back the navy socks at the end of the 90s. But the only time they've done that recently was um, in 2018-19. Do we like navy socks on Man City's kit, Rich? <clears throat> Um, it makes an interesting change. Mm. Um, I mean, it, it kind of works, I think, when you've got the white shorts. Mm. Um, I don't know. I don't. I mean, 
when they brought it back, did they have white shorts again? I'm trying to think because I'm sure Man City played mostly in just all sort of all pale blue, light blue these days. I'm not going to say sky blue because that's for Coventry. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I don't know actually. No, they still use white shorts, don't they? Yeah, yeah. I don't really care. I don't care. It's the top of the Premiership. I really couldn't care less. <laughs> I'm very honest of you. No interest in the top of the Premiership at all. <laughs> um, among the many things I saw during the game, there was a few interesting bits and pieces. Um, Due to the fans of both sides being segregated, there was a big F uh, mm. written out in the seats in the stand behind one of oh, the yeah. goals. And I'm not sure what the F was a part of. It was it spelt out a word when there was no one in the in the stadium. But um, FC, I, I, yeah, I suppose it would have been FC. MCFC. MCFC. That would yes, that works, doesn't it? Yes. I was thinking it can't be a very long word because it was right behind the goal. That F, where there was a gap, as opposed to MC Hammer, <laughs> which was on the main stand. <laughs> Um, I saw there um, Alex Ferguson in his big black umbro coat with a big red V or diamond, I think it was, down the front, which were very popular, I seem to remember at the time. I think you could get different ones with like a blue V and a yellow V. And, uh, you know, I remember quite a few people wearing those back then. What I liked was that Fergie and his team and the opposition <laughs> sort of bench seemed to be sitting on um, sort of cha- uh, like a bench that they'd knit from the local public swimming baths, <laughs> like from a changing room. Yeah. Because it was bizarre. There was there was no bench. It was literally just like a wall with like a concrete bit sticking out and some wooden slats on it. Just it was like into it, yeah. Literally, it looked like the sort of things you get in the changing rooms in the, in the public baths. Really, I was just like, what? But in a funny sort of way, that's what I think nowadays they should be made to sit on. It's like, no, you're earning lots of money. You're in a very privileged position, so sit on a cold concrete seat, right? For an yeah, hour as opposed to these blooming like sports sort of car seats Recaro down these days. Seats, yeah. yeah, bloody pampered asses of the Premier League <laughs> pricks. Bloody <laughs> young people. <laughs> yeah, this generation with their comforts. <laughs> I remember we had to we had to get piles sitting on a wooden bench in the freezing cold. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Don't know they're born half of them. Yeah, um, bloody fetuses. <laughs> Um, at halftime, there were shots of various kids in the crowd, some munching on crisps, others looking downright bored, which was um, a, <laughs> probably not a good look, really. But anyway, there not was. surprised because the match was pretty crap, to be honest. Wow, yes, <laughs> very indeed. scrappy. Yes, oh, it was yeah. not what you. If you put it like this, if you'd said Premier League match between Man City and Man United, this was not the standard you'd be thinking of. No, indeed, um, not quite. It was. Not, but it was did, putting the crap in scrappy, <laughs> crappy do. <laughs> Another one we can chalk up on the list. Um, loads of police inside and outside the ground in fluorescent yellow jackets. I, I didn't realise that the Man City and Man United fans had the potential to be quite as violent as that was making out. There were so many police there. I thought I thought they were generally all right with each other, Man City. Have you ever been to Manchester? <laughs> no, no. You get stabbed up as soon as you get off the train. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, that's I nice. think, I don't know, I've only ever driven there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and a couple of times during the game, you see City players sort of dawdling on the ball, and then they suddenly a Man United player just comes up and takes the ball off their foot, like as if like they've got all the time in the world. Uh, unfortunately, the second time I saw that happening was the Man City player manager Peter Reid, which was uh, not the sort of thing you want to do to get the respect of your team, really. Um, anyway, the match itself, a quick summary. Um, Giggs and Cantona were sort of threatening to produce the quality of play we associate with them nowadays. Uh, but during the first half, they were both off target and unable to beat an on-form Tony Coton 
or cotton. I don't know how you pronounce your surname. In the in the city, is it what? It is Coton. Coton. I thought it was Coton. Yes. Um, Niall Quinn opens scoring by heading in from close range after a long high ball into the box from Rick Holden. Another name that I've just that's part. I don't remember his name at all from '93 football. Don't about you, Rich. No, no, no. Blank looks all round. uh, Mark Hughes played a ball down the left wing for Lee Sharp, who crossed in for Cantona to head home from close range to make it one all. And City's Mike Sheeran hit the post with a low shot near the end, but the uh, the game finished one one. After the game, Barry Davis interviewed Alex Ferguson, Niall Quinn, and Steve Bruce in a wood panelled room that may have been an out of commission sauna. Ferguson <laughs> Ferguson himself was seen standing in front of a no smoking sign. Oh, the glamour! Um, then Des Lynham invited Trevor Brooking to give his summing up of the match. Uh, Trev says, Man, you look a better prospect to win the title than last year's mob who fell apart and allowed Leeds to win the First Division Championship. He also notes how Giggs and Sharp both play best when they're on the left wing, but you can't play them both there, so one of them inevitably has to play like crap on the right wing instead. Further analysis was provided when Trevor Brooking commented on a replay of some of the key moments from the match, aided as he was by two superimposed white ovals that indicated the specific players he was talking about. All still a bit low-tech by today's standards, but a sign that things had definitely moved on since the era of Gerald Sinstat talking into a phallus-shaped microphone in an empty <laughs> shipping container. Um, I was... It was quite sort of jarring suddenly see these two white ovals sort of picking out the players that Brookie was talking about, Rich. It was a bit like, aren't they going to sort of spin round those ovals or aren't they going to kind of be like a 3D effect, like a sort of shining light coming down from heaven like you get nowadays when these computer <laughs> graphics are just, you know, two kind of big zeros picking out the players. Um, but I, I did like the fact that, I mean, going back to the post-match interviews, oh, yes. I like the fact that the room they were in was obviously very small <laughs> yeah. because they were very close to the interviews. Like, Fergie was always filling the screen. Yeah. And the other thing I found really funny was, I know Niall Quinn's tall, but I don't think he's a giant. But the angle was literally pointing <laughs> up at up his nose. Like, the cameraman was tiny. Yeah. And it was like, it's just really bizarre. It's like, because he's not... I mean, I know he's tall, but he's not hes not like three feet taller than Fergie. But they managed to get a sort of straight enough shot of Fergie. Although when they came back to Fergie, the camera seemed to have fallen on its side slightly. Yeah. Just very, very bizarre. Yeah. But again, sort of, it's in that transition period of being sort of the polished product you see today and hmm. still these sort of slightly amateur-y sort of roots. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um. Alan Hansen chips in to say that although Man United have only picked up two points from the last nine, he thinks Brian Robson will soon return to the side ready for the big end-of-season push. In the fullness of time, Robbo finally managed to grab a goal against Wimbledon on the last day of the season to help United clinch the title. Spoiler alert. Um, But that's all still way off in the future. For now, we move on to a report from Selhurst Park where high-flying Norwich City were playing away at Wimbledon. Ray Stubbs tells us that a decent showing by Canaries fans has swelled the attendance to around 10,000, but they were frustrated to see John Fashionu setting up Dean Holdsworth for Wimbledon's first goal. We then see Vinnie Jones playfully covering the long lens of a cameraman with the match ball before throwing it on to set up Neil Ardley for Wimbledon's second. That's the ball, not the camera lens. Um, (laughs) Wimbledon continued to dominate and eventually made it 3-0 due to some poor defending according to Stubbs, but the defending was nowhere near as poor as the camera work, which on two occasions 
didn't follow the ball in flight and instead searched around for something interesting to look at instead. <laughs> Even a deliberate handball stopping Norwich getting a consolation goal wasn't given, which proved once and for all that it wasn't the away team's day. And we then get a brief interview with Norwich manager Mike Walker, who engages in some read-between-the-lines nonsense about Norwich blowing their chances of winning the title, and John Awuga Fashionu, who says Norwich lost because they were tired. He goes on to say that he'd like to see Aston Villa have a crack at the title because they're more relaxed, and they've got big Ron Atkinson in charge, who's a, quote, happy-go-lucky character, close quotes. Hmm. <laughs> Um, what do we make of the, uh, the the sequence there, Norwich v Wimbledon, and the and the little report there from Ray Stubbs? Well, it's interesting to see how undeveloped Selhurst Park was, because um, yes. they still hadn't got the roof over one end, <laughs> um, they hadn't built the new stand at the other end, um, so it was looking a bit like a shed. I noticed there's still a fences up as well, which yes. I didn't I didn't realise was still a thing in the sort of ninety three. Really, I thought they'd gone by that point. Um, well, when was the Cantona yeah, kick? Thing? Was that that was ninety five? Five. That was still to come. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Wimbledon looked very cheap in there. I think it was an admiral <laughs> kit. I think they yeah. had, but it looked really cheap and naff. And it was like a quite a light blue for Wimbledon. Mm. I mean, Wimbledon kind of. I mean, they—they they, that's probably the lightest blue they've had, um, and they sort of, and then years later they went to a very, very dark blue. That's right. But yeah, it just looked a bit cheap. Um, <laughs> and I thought I just made the note. It says Mike Walker says Norwich won't win the league. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, correct. <laughs> he was right because <laughs> what uh, was it? The interviewer said I was, you know, you just sort of, um, what did he say? Something like he said, said kidology. That was it, yeah. Is that some just Mike Walker kidology? And like Mike Walker was kind of like, well, maybe, but also no. <laughs> and it's like, no, you're right, Mike. It wasn't. You didn't win the league. Yeah, I think he was basically sort of saying, we played crap today, and if we carry on playing crap like that, we're not going to yeah. win the league. I think he was being fairly sort of yeah. straight down the line about things. Really. Anyway, after that, it's back to the studio where Des introduces our second match of the episode, Aston Villa versus Sheffield Wednesday. We get a caption showing both team lineups featuring more great players of the era. For Villa, there's Steve Staunton, Paul McGrath, Ray Houghton and Cyril Regis, while the visitors could boast Chris Woods, Chris Waddle and Mark Bright among their ranks. Even better than that, however, is that our old friend, the late Gerald Sinstat, is our commentator. Staunton allowed to run and York puts it in. 1-0, second minute. So Aston Villa versus Sheffield Wednesday... Rich, um, what did you pick out from this one? Uh, first thing I'd like to say is Cyril Regis splitter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I knew you had to gone to Villa. Had to say something, and then Dublin, then Dion Dublin years later. <sighs> Boo Dear to me, you I all! Don't. Stop being our great number nines, and then going to our rivals, <laughs> you bastards. Um, um, yeah, I mean uh, the the match itself happened. Um, <laughs> I mean. Some things happened in the match. Uh, Big Ron called it smashing football, which I loved because that couldn't have been more Big Ron if he tried. Um, The main thing for me were the sponsors, uh, because you had Rover, obviously, because it was, you know, Aston Villa. Villa. Uh, Something called Flix, which I know Mm. what the hell that was. Yes. Um, so I couldn't quite work out. It looked like Britman or Bryman European Airways or something. Oh yes, um, Bryman European Airways, which was um, is that what it was? Bryman, yeah, eventually swallowed up into the Fly B network. You uh, made oh, uh, okay. wish today. Um, the Daily Star, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, Cortina corned beef. <laughs> no, no, me neither. 
Cortina, not spelt the same as a Ford Cortina. <laughs> no. Um, and then Karsha. Um, yes. Mitre, obviously. Mm-hmm. Johnson's Paints. And, tucked away in a corner of the ground, uh, football attic favourite, Ciro Soterio. <laughs> I had to laugh when I saw that. I mean, yeah. <laughs> gladdened my heart when I saw that. Um, yes, and lots of the sort of same sponsors that we saw in the first match, and we'll go on to see in the third match as well. In this, uh, yeah, yeah, all your sort of um, Carlsbergs and Lucas Aids and all the rest of it. Ascot Sports, not quite sure who they were. I don't know if that was a. Yeah, we've seen those quite a few times though, because yeah. they were at the um, they were at the the first match as well, and we've yeah. seen them quite a few times before in the matches. But I don't know if they're like a, a version <coughs> of Mitre. Uh, Mitre, what we're talking about? Um, Intersports or. Whether yeah, they just possibly. made shoes or I don't know, not sure who Ascot was. Don't know, but they were all always used to see them at football grounds like since basically the beginning of time. Just, just not sure who they were or where they were based in the UK. If you know listeners, get in touch. Um, yes, Barlow Handling. Not sure who they were. Um, yes, good old Harcross Timber Supplies again, and so on and so on. Anyway, uh, the only thing that I picked out really from this game was. Um, after Dean Saunders had a shot that glanced off the crossbar, Kevin Richardson was seen forcefully putting his arm around the shoulders of the referee. I think because one of the other Aston Villa players was about to hurl some abuse at the referee. Um, it was all done in the manner of like a drunken mate of yours down the pub who's had a few too many pints of Carling Black Label sort of slinging his arm around his shoulder. And uh, yes, he sort of led the referee away before he got to hurt, got, before he got to hear a lot of abuse from... Uh, one of the Aston Villa players. Um, as far as the match is concerned, uh, Paul Warhurst peppered the Villa goal to no avail. Uh, both goalkeepers, Woods and Mark Bosnich, were on good form, blocking shots at either end. Dwight York eventually scored twice, which proved decisive, despite Roland Nilsson's going close to pulling one goal back for, for Wednesday late in the game. Um, and that was that, really. I mean, there's sort of not much else to sort of say. It was all a bit kind of playground football again. It was sort of up, up one end and then back up the other end of the pitch and so on. Um, after the match, Gerald Sinstat grabbed a word with Ron Atkinson, who says that even if Villa don't win the league this season, they've still played some terrific football. Sinstat, Sinstat, I'll get the teeth in straight, hang on. <laughs> Sinstat presses him by saying, I know that's what you enjoy, but you want to win things, don't you? After a long pause, Big Ron says that the teams who play the best football are usually the ones that win things. But in his case, they didn't. At Villa were eventual <laughs> runners-up to Man United, 10 points behind the champions at season's end. Oof. At this point, however, Villa were back on top of the table, as helpfully shown on a caption displaying the top three in the Premier League. Villa on 64 points, Man United on 62 points, and with a game in hand over Norwich in third, also on 62 points. Rich, do you remember this being a sort of close run into the end of this season? Because I, I mean, it was kind of quite clear cut at the end. Man United won it by a canter, but I don't remember it being sort of like ooh, ooh three horse race. Uh, not that late in the season, no. Mm. Um, I remember sort of Norwich and Villa sort of challenging early on. I certainly remember Norwich challenging, and and I think you know by this point, I think they were sort of as Mike Walker, I think, acknowledged, sort of realistically probably not going to win it. Mm. Um, and I don't think I don't think we really kind of ever thought they were. It was one of those. It was a bit like when Sheffield Wednesday were top of the table for about you know five weeks at the start of a season. Mm. One year we were kind of like oh <laughs> you know, and then it was like you know they sort of very that quickly faded. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those things. Whereas I mean, like Villa were a much more realistic prospect to win it. Um, 
But yeah, mm. by the end of the season, obviously, you know, there's such a big gap. It was like, yeah, they they faded as well. So it was weird to think as well, because um, wasn't this this was the first Man U title win, wasn't mm. it? For like That's right. out of their dominance, and it's weird to think back because I remember in the nineties, just thinking, oh god, it's always Man U that win it. <laughs> But to think by this point, this was their first. They hadn't won it for Christ knows how long. So That's right. Yeah. Very much so, yes. Um, once again, <coughs> we get Trev and Hansen reviewing the key moments from the match. Passing a movement, says Alan Hansen on a regular basis. Just to a brooking. Des Lynham tells us that the upcoming edition of Sports Night features highlights from the midweek games in the Premier League and the friendly between Scotland and Germany, plus a review of the boat race. Well, two out of three ain't bad. Lynham reassures us that we haven't reached the end of the programme yet, and to prove it, he introduces action from the third and final game, Liverpool versus Everton. The commentator is Clive Tildesley. Side by side on Derby Day, side by side in the wrong half of the Premier League table. Liverpool and Everton still need a couple of wins apiece to escape the shadow of relegation. Well, Rich, this is kind of very much your neck of the woods, family-wise, you know, Liverpool and all that. Um, what did you think of this game? Um, yeah, it's all right, <laughs> you know. Uh, the first thing I noticed was Mike Hooper. It was Mike, it was Mike Hooper, wasn't it? Yeah. He's still the sub goalie <laughs> for Liverpool. And having been there, what must have been like a decade now, playing second fiddle to whoever's in first. Um, yeah, it was David James by this That's point. Right. Um, Grobbler, I think, left the year before, didn't he? Yes, yeah, so yes. Did he go to Southampton? Yes, correct. God, yeah, well remembered from go. a previous episode, yes. Yes. Bill Grobbler. <laughs> no, yeah. Uh, the interesting thing is, I mean, one of the one, one of the most interesting things, two things I noticed, apart from the sponsors, there was an in-goal camera, Oh, was it? Uh, I didn't know. Which I don't think we'd, yeah, I don't think we'd had in any other matches. So, like, literally a camera in the back of the goal, which they mm-hmm. used quite a few times. Um, and the other interesting thing that they they said was that it, during the match, the uh, commentator said, "There's a crowd of forty four thousand six hundred nineteen. Yes, and he said, given that crowds are going down at the moment, he said, "Will there ever be a bigger Premier League crowd?" <laughs> The answer to which is a resounding yes. <laughs> Would there ever be a smaller one? <laughs> I know that was quite a quite an incredible thing. That I, I literally stopped me in my tracks when I heard um, Clive Tilsey saying that. It's like, oh, okay, keeping the expectations low at that point. I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was a lot of Scandinavian sponsors. Oh yes, wasn't it? Just still going on traditional ones. Uh, yeah, I think most of them we've probably seen before. Um, but I saw one called Froding, which I'm not sure if we've seen. Frodinger, before. yes, a uh, Swedish cake maker, apparently. Yeah, one that looked like it just said Tuv or Tuv. It was like T U V F. I couldn't see <laughs> if there was any that. more to it. Uh, data bus, I liked because it was data, and then B U double S. Den wire ropes. Um, <laughs> pastage coquet Swedish liver pate that is apparently oh okay bohus which I think we've had before um, Goldman Herscore oh no I know what that is that's uh, they're sports shoe makers oh, there we go extra starker <laughs> pass which I think was uh, that was page three yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, hovdocker which we've had before yes uh, Volvia, which looked like it's Volvo, but it's not. Um, no, I, I know what that what is. That's, is. that's then, basically insurance for Volvo cars. That's why it's in the same. Oh, font. there we go. That's why it's got the same sort of league uh, logo. Yeah, and Elk Jop, <laughs> Elk Jop, no doubt. Now I know that it sounds like 
Uh, I was yeah. saying, when I know it, sorry, what I mean is um, on my side project, listeners, which is kitblist.co.nz, where I illustrate football kits. Um, about a couple of years ago, I went through a spell. A, a gentleman from Norway asked me to illustrate some kits for his favourite football team. And their shirt sponsor for a long time was Elkjop. And I didn't know what it was, but as soon as I saw it on the on the advertising board, I knew I recognised it immediately. But I, I have no idea what the, what the company does or anything. Sorry, do carry on. <laughs> Side uh, Memorex, which was interesting to see. Yes. Um, cassette tape makers. Uh, 3M post-it. Anton Berg again with his marzipan. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that was all I wrote down. There was quite a few more, but they were the kind of more interesting ones. And then because the rest were the same, like Makita and all that crap. So yes, in fact, I've, I've, an update here. Oh, candy, obviously. Oh, candy. Sorry. Yes, yeah. that's right. Um, an update. Sorry, on that Elkjop. I have actually written down what they are. They're Nor- they're a Norwegian electronics company. There we are. Oh, there we that's go. That's completed your whole life, hasn't it? Um, what else? <laughs> oh yeah, um, there was. Um, Brathens Safe, which is a Norwegian airline, uh, quite a well-known one apparently, not not to me though. Um, and what was the other one I've written down here? <laughs> Den- so you said Denwire Ropes, but the bit that made me laugh was the caption alongside it that said Dudley and Copenhagen, <laughs> which is like <laughs> trying to be exotic and sort of continental, but the word Dudley yeah. sort of lessened that effect a bit. Um and uh, Rydberg's Salada was another one I saw, which is basically a company that makes little tubs of potato salad and the like in Sweden. The things you find out on this podcast, you never realise you're fascinating. <laughs> yes, I know. Yes, they do like a bit of potato salad in Sweden. I'm reliably informed. Anyway, among the things I spotted during the match uh, were Mark Wright, who early on got a bang on his knee, which saw him leaving the pitch while mouthing the words, F**k's sake. Um the second episode running, we've been treated to this kind of foul-mouthed utterance. Um, on the Liverpool bench, there was Sammy Lee, Graham Soonis, Roy Evans, Soonis' successor, and Ronnie Rosenthal, all bedecked in Adidas equipment training gear, which looked fabulous. <laughs> um, I used to love all that Adidas equipment stuff back in the day. Um, yeah, uh, and um, referee Philip Don. Uh, at one point had to have a word with Graham Soonis on the Liverpool bench or in the Liverpool dugout I should say and uh, in the distance you can see Howard Kendall poking his head up as if to say what's going on over there listening in from afar and ironically Philip Don the referee told Soonis to calm down which is not the sort of thing really you should be saying in front of 44,000 scousers Um, (laughs) although very prescient given he had a heart attack later Uh, oh well indeed yes he, he got told at the time did he listen? No. Um, anyway, actually, that wasn't that the season before. Uh, it was, oh, it might have it been when they beat Sunderland two 0 or something. I'm sure that was ninety two. Yeah. I'd have to check because I just remember when when they scored and the the sort of physio ran over and sort of held Graham Soonis's head mm. and just sort of said like, "Don't jump up or anything." Oh yes, so it's, it's pod hot. So maybe the ref was just you know kind of saying. You know, don't do that again. <laughs> so, calm down, dear. Yeah. Chill out, G. Uh, um, as far as the match is concerned, well, uh, as I said, Mark Wright got an injury early on and he was replaced by Jan Mulby, who himself had been out for five months with an ankle injury. <laughs> Great replacement there. Um, Steve McManaman had a couple of chances for Liverpool and Tony Cotty came close for Everton. 
Billy Kenny was replaced by Stuart Barlow, who had a few chances during the game. The name Billy Kenny didn't register at all with me. Was that, is that a name that you're familiar with, Rich? Who? Well, yeah, there you are, exactly. Who's he? Um, exactly. <laughs> Billy Kenny apparently was nicknamed no. by Peter Beersley as the Goodison Gazza because he was a young fellow coming through with like great skill and all that. But um, I'm reliably informed that um, he succumbed somewhat to um, the delights of uh, alcohol and cocaine and stuff like that. So I think his days were numbered, unfortunately, um, in football sense anyway. Um, and Ronnie Rosenthal came on for Steve McManaman and Julie scored the winner for Liverpool at the very end of the match. After the match, Clive Tildesley asked Ronnie Rosenthal what the Liverpool team was singing in the bath after the game, which suggested he was listening through a drinking glass held up to the door at the time. <laughs> after telling Tildesley that they were singing the songs that the crowd was singing, Rosenthal was asked if he was happy to be a Liverpool player. After a very long pause, Rosenthal admitted that he's not enjoying being on the bench so much and that his days may be numbered at Anfield. I was quite shocked by the frankness of that reply there, Rich. Yeah, it was a very awkward interview, wasn't it? Yes. It's like, so it's like, so do you want to still be a Liverpool player? Not really. Not if I'm going to be sitting on the bench, I don't know. <laughs> I was expecting him to sort of say, oh, yeah, no, it's fine. I love being at Liverpool. It's great and all this. And when he sort yeah. of went, no, not really. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Wasn't expecting that. Um, in fact, Rosenthal stayed for one more season after this, but he continued to struggle in his efforts to be anything other than a regular substitute. He eventually moved to Tottenham in January 1994, but after three three years and 88 appearances, he still only managed to notch up four goals and was once again uh, on the subs bench more often than he'd have liked. He eventually closed out his career at Watford between 1997 and 1999, where he scored eight times in 30 appearances. Back in the studio, Des asks Alan Hansen what it's like to play in a Merseyside derby. Hansen replies that he played 32 such games and he hated every single one of them. <laughs> Too much tension, he says, in a way that underlines the somewhat drab nature of the game we've just seen. He then points out how bad the shooting was of various players during a highlights package. And then we get to see the goals from the day's other games in the Premier League. Now, this was a this is probably a first for us, isn't it? Because we've... Well, obviously, yeah. seeing all the other goals from the other games is something that didn't happen really until the Premier League arrived. I don't think so, anyway. Um, so that was quite fun. Um, uh, in the game between Arsenal and Southampton, we see the Highbury mural showing 10,000 lifeless human figures behind one goal. Pauses to allow audience to make up own jokes. Uh, also, also, there were no... Uh, I just wondered whether this was the... Uh, original mural or whether this is the one that they subsequently repainted uh, because after they'd done it they realised there were literally no non-white faces on it that's right and also Jimmy Jimmy Carter scored which I thought was impressive <laughs> well yes you know, he had to have a career president of the United States <laughs> <laughs> wasn't doing much at that point in time no um, <laughs> we also see the goals from Blackburn versus Middlesbrough where one end of Ewood Park is also nothing more than a building site after that it's Chelsea v Tottenham, where Stamford Bridge is one big car park, but that's just what Stamford Bridge was like in those days. Well, going back to the, the I was going to say, going back to the Blackburn one, that was obviously at the stage they were rebuilding Ewood Park, and it was interesting to see that, like you say, one end was completely disappeared because they were rebuilding it, mm. but the other end was still the old stands. Yeah. So they had obviously only just started redoing it all. Um, there was a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. And and like you say, Chelsea. Still, <laughs> looking exactly like it had done in the eighties, and I've spotted an Invercar as well. Yes, of course, behind the goal. Bonus point for that. 
Um, in the Ipswich v Coventry game, Cov were wearing a rarely seen kit featuring a red shirt with white squiggles all over it. What did you think of that, Rich? That's a very um, uh, eclectic sort of look. Yeah, I mean, I, rem- I remember at the time, I never really was a fan of Cov in red. I'm still mm. not. Um, but I quite like that shirt, obviously, because it was a bit crazy. Um yeah, I don't know. It's, I mean, it was the nil. It was nil nil, wasn't it? The match <laughs> time on a fashion, a typical bloody draw. You know, <laughs> didn't involve Arsenal though, which is your no meme from every time they showed Cov Arsenal, it was goalless. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but again, you know, the one we have picked, another nil nil draw. <laughs> yeah. Um, after that, we get to see the bottom half of the Premier League table on a caption: Liverpool are in thirteenth place. Chelsea are 15th, and at the bottom, Nottingham Forest are 22nd. Ah, that was the season when Forest went down, of course. And that, pretty much, is that episode of Match of the Day. We see the end credits rolling and um, a little sort of montage of, I think, a couple of the goals, uh, or maybe one of the goals from the Aston Villa game, I think it was something like that. So that was that. Um, So, Rich, closing thoughts. Um, Our first match of the day or any program frankly from the 1990s um that was that was a refreshing change i thought and um des Lynham, super smooth reliable and calm as you'd expect um brooking and hansen quite interesting sort of pundits they obviously knew their stuff but i mean see i trevor brooking was my childhood hero football hero really I got to be brutally honest. Listening back to him, he does seem to sort of have that kind of slightly droning kind of voice, and I just thought, <laughs> I know he kind of, you know, people like impersonators and impressionists used to sort of lean heavily on that, and I can sort of see why now. I didn't sort of realise it so much at the time because I just sort of think, oh, it's Trevor Brookin, good old Trevor Brookin from West Ham, sort of thing. But yeah, listening back to him now, he does sort of go on a bit in that slightly kind of nasal. <laughs> but anyway, there we are. And all the graphics and the captions and everything were all very competent and polished. So, um, overall thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, it was it was all right. Like I say, it kind of lacks a bit of the charm of the of the sort of earlier ones, but at the same time, it's still early enough, you know. And it's kind of before Sky Sports came along, and you know, in effect, sort of revolutionised a lot of this stuff because Mm. it was still very almost like cottage industry wasn't it It Mm. and then Sky came along and sort of you know with its fancy graphics packages and its slick presenting and then obviously the BBC had to kind of follow suit to keep up so it's kind of nice because it's still a sort of innocent age it's kind of it's okay yes the premiership's happened but it's still very much the early days it hasn't become the monster that it's become now Mm. Um, so yeah it's kind of still a degree of innocence in it all, um, hmm. which is quite nice, and a degree of sort of amateurness in the in the coverage, but way above what it had been. Yes. Um, but yeah, it was, it was all right. Yeah, yes, made, made a nice change, I think, from the from the seventies and the eighties output that we've been analysing thus far. Yes, yeah. Well, um, I think that's pretty much all we got time for, really, on this episode of the Football Attic Rewind. Um, don't forget to. Check us out and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash footballattic. You can drop us a line about anything you've heard today or general thoughts about old football if you like uh, by going to twitter.com forward slash footballattic or facebook.com forward slash footballattic. And uh, we do look forward to hearing from you. But um, I think that is just about all we've got time for. Uh, Rich, good to talk to you again. And you, sir. Thank you. And uh, listeners, thank you for listening. Uh, From Rich Johnson and myself, 
We look forward to your company again next time. Until then, from the two of us, it's goodbye to you all. Goodbye. Goodbye.